Amen. It's been good to have my parents with me as well. They're sitting over here, so it's been good to have them this week. And uh, have to be good today. All right, I'll try. Take a deep breath and try. All right, this week we're talking about Mary, and we're talking about the promises of God. And uh, this week we're going to be looking at remaining faithful. Remaining faithful. And we're going to read from John chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And it says, In the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. So this is, <laughs> you like that? <laughs> Just do it. Uh, I thought, man, this is a funny, funny passage to read about Jesus and interactions with his mom. And my mom's here today, and I thought, man, that sounds like mornings growing up as my mom tries to wake me up and I just say, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour has not yet come. <laughs> she would just say, do it. No. <laughs> we find this story of the marriage of Cana, Jesus' first miracle, and all of the months of planning had come down to this moment. Every detail had been checked and rechecked, and so far everything had gone fine until suddenly word reaches the groom that there was no more wine left. Without having to look, he knows the festivities are far from over, and he already sees the servants trying to figure out what to do as people look around for refills. His next glance is toward his new bride, and not hours married, and he is already experiencing embarrassment frustration, and perhaps a little trepidation at what might be said. The custom was for the best wine to be served first, and then gradually the wine would be watered down to make it stretch as the festivities progressed. And this was an accepted practice. Everyone knew that this is what was going to take place. But what wasn't accepted was to run out altogether. We find present at this wedding was Jesus some of his disciples, and Mary, his mother. And it, it, we find from the involvement of Jesus, the fact that they are there, and then their involvement in this, uh, we get the idea that, that Mary and Jesus are some possibly related to the bride or groom or both, or we are, they're somehow involved in the planning of the wedding, or uh, something is taking place that, that they are here at this place and getting involved in this situation. It's, it's a little unusual if they were just acquaintances of the family, if it was just, you know, someone that they barely knew and all of a sudden Mary takes it upon herself to, to get involved in this way. Some people have even said that they feel that Mary was really kind of the wedding planner of this even. Now that's why she's one of the first people to really uh, do anything about what is taking place with this shortage of wine. But whatever her role, we find her approaching Jesus with the dilemma. And the conversation which follows is an unusual one that we read between a mother and a son that there's a lot of debate about what this conversation, if, what, what happened here. Is this a demanding mother that's commanding her son? Is this a son being rude to his mother? Or is this a conversation possibly formed out of 
some level of frustration on Mary's part. Whatever the case, we see Jesus taking command of the situation after his mother tells the servants, just do whatever he tells you. And pretty soon we see that Jesus' first miracle has been accomplished and really this is the start of his earthly ministry beginning in full. And as Mary stands at the wedding feast that day, in whatever capacity she was in, we consider what may have been going through her mind. Here's a woman, and of course most of us know the the story of Mary and the miraculous birth of Jesus, but here's a woman who was given the promise of the Messiah being born to her her in a divine way. She's endured ridicule, she's heard the whispers, she's heard the gossip, she's seen the doubters of her story. She's faced a difficult journey the whole way through. First of all, with, with the, 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 the way that she becomes pregnant, pregnant and then she endures a, a journey to Bethlehem, and then she endures giving birth in a stable. Then we see that she's visited by a bunch of strangers. I don't know, I've, um, I don't know if you knew this or not, but I've never given birth, um, so that's... <laughs> but I do know that, you know, that... that that those moments after the child has been born, probably, you know, there's friends and there's family, there may be, you know, some people coming in and out of the room, different things like that. The last thing that you're probably going to expect are three shepherds to show up. Well, not three, maybe there was more. You don't expect a bunch of stinky shepherds to show up and be like, hey, where's that baby? Where's he at? We heard about him. Angels came and sang to us. You're like, okay. The psychiatric ward is that way. <laughs> that's, that's really not what you would probably expect. But, so she's got people coming, then she's got, she's got uh, wise men showing up, and, and they're, all this is happening. And she's Within two years of her child's life, she's, she's had to flee with, to Egypt to save her child's life. She's been warned by God to flee to Egypt, her family, and they've stayed there for anywhere up to two years living in, a, in another country. And then upon her return, she continues to raise her child with the promise of who he is in mind. And, and that, you know, I don't know how that childhood would go um, as, as you begin to think, because everyone knows that your child is the smartest, right? Your child's the best. There has been none greater until your child came along. He, they are the, the best there is. Imagine if your child was the Messiah. <laughs> Imagine if you get a note from the teacher saying about how, what your child did at school that day. And you're like, well, don't you know he's the Messiah? <laughs> I mean, that would go, that'd be a strange conversation to have. So she raises her child, and in, the, in, in her mind, continually, it's not just that her child is a good child, not just that she's trying to raise a, a great... No, it's the Messiah that she is raising, and... While we know little of Jesus' early life, we read where he was taken to the temple when he was 12, and while there he engages the religious leaders of the day in debate, and he astounds them with his knowledge. And throughout all of this, we catch a glimpse into the character of Mary. We find this passage soon after the birth of Jesus, and it was referenced last week in Luke chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. This is after the shepherds have come, and It says, and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And she just kind of kept quiet about it, that things happened and she just kind of observed and just put it in her heart. 
later concerning the events surrounding Jesus when he was 12 and, 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 and all that he had done and, and how he had astounded the rulers. It says in Luke chapter 2, 51 and 52, it says, And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now Jesus is 12, and she's seen all of, all of his life up until this point, and she sees what's happening. Again, she takes these things and puts them in her heart. She's not out talking about it. She's not out doing all of these things and, and blabbing to everybody and, and, and saying all of this stuff. She's not reminding everyone that, you know, my child's so good and remember he's the Messiah. It seems that she has this ability to keep these things inside, to just meditate and to, to, to dwell on these things within herself. And she watches and she waits knowing what was promised. She watches and waits for right at 30 years. And now we find her in this story at the wedding at Cana. Perhaps the unusual conversation that takes place between Mary and Jesus, perhaps on some level, there is some sense of impatience or frustration even. She tells the servants, she just said, Jesus says, woman, my hour's not yet come. And and she tells the servants, she just ignores him and says, you know what, whatever he says to do, just do it, and walks off. And in this statement, we almost catch that hint of impatience, that she doesn't pay attention to the fact that Jesus says, my hour's not come, what, it, what problem is this of mine, why are you bringing this to me? She just says, do whatever he says, believing that he's not just going to walk away, believing that he's not just going to do, uh, just say, well, go give him water. That's probably what they need anyway. Have they had their eight glasses a day yet? <laughs> for anyone that's waited for a promise or has received a promise that hasn't come to pass, you can probably associate with this feeling. This feeling of impatience, this feeling of, we could call it frustration. And frustration can be defined as an emotion that occurs when a desired outcome is delayed or hindered in coming to full fruition. It's an emotion that occurs when a desired outcome is delayed. Frustration. We understand that it's impossible to live life without encountering frustration. How many of you were frustrated today already? All right. My son uh, got some new shoes, and which just, you know, things randomly go through my mind, and then it reminded me it's Christmas time, and the song Mama Got New Shoes, that song, and... That's about the most depressing song there is. My wife didn't get new shoes. Isaac got new shoes. And uh, he, he had to have a, a certain tie to wear with them. And he couldn't find the tie. So he texted me four times in a row. Because he wanted me to come look in the lost and found down here to see if his tie's here. He texted me four times. Can you go look in the lost and found? Can you go look in the lost and found? Can you go look in the lost and found? And for the last time, could you go look in the lost and found? It's like, <laughs> just to the phone, just to the phone. <laughs> Woman, don't you know it's not my time? No. <laughs> there's things that frustrate us. There, there's little things that frustrate us. You know, I, I remember, uh, you know, uh, you know, we, I have the, the habit of, of thinking that, well, 
I've done some work on the house. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> there were a few moments of frustration. In fact, there's one that's in the back of my mind that's frustrating me right now. I had a light in the entryway that was working fine. The pigtail hanging there was working fine. So we finally decided to get a light fixture. You know, instead of just bare wires hanging out, it's about time to get us a light fixture. So get a light fixture, and it's a light that has two switches. So you can, you know, you, can, you can't stand there with both of them, but you can run back and forth and turn it on and off. And, and, and so, so it's working fine. Everything's going great. The outside lights are working. All, all things are good, except that it's not a fixture. So I get a fixture undo the wires, put the new one up, nothing works. Like, you're kidding me. I mean, how is this even possible? So I messed around with it, messed around with it, couldn't get it to work, I quit. I was like, I'm done, just left the fixture up, it's not going to work, it just looks real nice. So, so about, this is several months ago, so about a, a, a week ago I thought, you know, I, I think the way that I've got smarter in working on the house is not that I'm better at doing things, I just, I'm smarter now because I realize, okay, I need a whole day for this. <laughs> so, so I thought today I'm fixing this I'm going to take some time I'm going to get this light working so take all the wires out all 35 wires that come into that one box which may be part of the problem pull all those out start messing with it get the phone out I'm on the ladder with the phone and doing all this stuff and I get it working both switches I'm like yes this is great this is wonderful so then I get it all the wire nuts on there put it back up in there put the fixture up only one switch works like are you kidding me I was like there's got to be something loose I know there's something loose but so I get back up there pull them all down nothing I cannot get it working to save my life so I'm like that's it I'm just putting it up one switch will work the fan doesn't work now either Neither do the outside lights. And then about three days, no, four or five days ago, the light quit working too. Doesn't work with any switch. So I'm frustrated. I don't know what. Okay, Mary's at a wedding. My light's not working. <laughs> There's all kinds of things that frustrate us in life. It's impossible to not end. I mean, you can be like, today's going to be a good day. Nothing's going to happen. Nothing bad's going to happen. Oh. Oh, I'm, I'm frustrated already. <laughs> that, just, that just happens. And, and, and circum life is full of circumstances and situations which will test us. A lot of times it's just minor things that you're like, okay, I, okay I'll take that. And then, you know, it's the straw that broke the camel's back. But sometimes frustration can even creep into the more major areas of our life, even into the promises of God. Even though we know... Even though we know that God cannot fail, even though we know that God does not lie, even though we know He makes all things beautiful in His time, and even though we could go to someone and encourage them with those words, see, that doesn't frustrate me. That doesn't matter to me. Even though we know all of those things, and like I said, we could share those with someone else and encourage someone else, even though all of those things are true, and if they weren't, why are we serving a God who lies, fails, and doesn't make all things beautiful? Even though with all that, we still experience moments of frustration. Because it's an emotion that occurs. And I can't always control the emotion that arises in me. I can try my best. I'm not saying can't control it. We can't 
control whether I feel it or not. You should be able to control it to some level. But I can't just say, well, I'm not going to be frustrated and that's it. No frustration will creep in. I will not be angry for two weeks and no hint of anger rises up in me. Now, I can control when I feel that. But I can't just say, I will not be sad for two weeks. They rise up within us. And it's that that we look at today, this frustration from a few angles and a few different groups or people to look at. Consider the bridegroom, first of all, who ran out of wine. This was an extremely embarrassing situation to find yourself in in those days. (laughs) Uh, Well, I didn't run out of wine at my wedding. It was here at the church. (laughs) So I didn't do that. (laughs) But I did have a few little jobs to do that may or may not have got done. We'll just leave that in the past. Let bygones be bygones. But I can hear the bride saying, you had one job to do. I did the flowers, I got the decorations together, I sent out the invitations, I gave you one job, make sure the people have enough to drink at the wedding. Can you handle that? Yeah, I got that. And then he's like, "Mm -hmm. I don't know, here it is, the day, and they've run out of stuff. You had one job to do. This is an embarrassing situation because really it was also considered in that time a way of repayment that was made to all the guests that were there for all their help, support, and all the times, all the weddings that he'd been to. This was almost considered a form of repayment. And he could have blamed the shortage on any number of things that day. Maybe there was more people there. Maybe they drank more than he expected. Whatever it was, but in the end, it all just came back to him. And sometimes we find ourselves in life, and with the promises of God, and trying to follow the, the will and purpose of God for our life, we find ourselves in the case that we frustrate ourselves. We frustrate ourselves sometimes. Uh, it, let's just ask. I mean, at some point, we've got to admit it. How many of you talk to yourself? Okay, good. See? You think you're weird. We're just all... It's normal, see? Those that don't, you're weird. No. <laughs> we frustrate ourselves. I know there's times when I have just said to myself, uh, not out loud yelling, but you know in that whisper that you use when you talk to yourself? Now we're getting into particulars. Maybe it does get weird here. I've just said, what an idiot. What an idiot. Why did you do that? Why did you miss that? What, what, what were you thinking? What an idiot. Sometimes we just frustrate ourselves. And even in the will and purpose of God, when we feel that God has called us to do something or he's given us a promise, and, and, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm oblivious to, to stuff, and then afterwards it happens, and I'm like, oh, that was God. That was him opening a door. That was him trying to show me this. That was him trying to do this, and I get frustrated with myself. We find ourselves in that place. We continually seem to be getting in our own way. That's the frustration that we can have i got to move quickly because I talked about my electricity too long. But another, I, I know, so, so there's this frustration with ourself that can begin to creep in. And we, we begin to beat ourselves up and then we get in a cycle of condemnation and guilt and, and, and anyway. Consider the servants too though that day. The servants were probably frustrated. Here's a group. Guess what their job was to do? Oh, very good, yes. Very good. You thought it was a trick question. No. They were just there to serve. You know, they, they are, there, they are the, the waiters and waitresses that have to come to your table and say, uh, sorry, you can't have any more to drink, we're out. And immediately when they say they're out, 
whether you show kindness or not, your first thought is not to go to the manager, it's not to go to the Pepsi company or whoever didn't deliver that day. You automatically get a little upset at the waiter or waitress and it's not their fault at all that they've run out. You're like, are you kidding me? How do you run out? Well, and so they, 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 there's all these guests that are, they, they've got one job to do and that's to serve and, and they can't do their job and it's no fault of their own. It's not their fault there's no wine. It's not their fault that people are upset. It's not their fault. And sometimes, I don't know if you realize this or not, sometimes our frustration comes from other people. I know you've never experienced that in your life before, that you've been frustrated by somebody else. But at some point in your life, this may happen to you, that someone may do something that frustrates you. Just a warning out there. Sometimes even when we're trying to do good things, people frustrate us. Sometimes even when we feel like we are doing what we are called to do, what God has promised to do, we get frustrated by other people. We also have to consider Mary and what she may have been thinking at this time, whatever her role was in this, in this scenario. But she was a person who may also have been experiencing some level of frustration and impatience. In your notes it says the greatest level of frustration was Mary. I will have to say, I don't know if it was the greatest level of frustration, but I will say there may be frustration present within Mary as well. Why might she have been frustrated? Because she knew what or who the answer was to the situation. She had the promise before her child was ever born. She had a miraculous pregnancy. She'd watched Jesus grow. She'd watched him amaze the religious leaders at age 12. She knew who Jesus was. She knew the prophecies about him. She knew the promises that had been given. And yet he still hadn't really stepped into that role. Perhaps she was frustrated that the promise of the Messiah was taking so long to come to pass. And she leaves the conversation with Jesus by simply telling the servants, just do whatever he tells you to do. And we get this little idea that maybe there was some impatience there. Maybe there's frustration there. Sometimes the reason, whatever her case may be, we do find that sometimes the reason for our frustration in waiting is that we're waiting sometimes even for personal validation. Mary may have been frustrated because she was also waiting on that validation. Now, not the validation that says you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. But years had transpired since Mary had received her word of promise, a, a word that declared that she would give birth to this Messiah, and she'd accepted and embraced that word, even though it had caused her great difficulty. It was a virgin birth, and no one had ever heard of such a thing. She had endured the stares, the whispers, the questions, the doubts, and no one could really understand, but how could they understand? They hadn't been visited by an angel, and all they had was her word. Even those who would want to believe Mary probably had great trouble believing Mary because her story was more than far-fetched. Mary had been given all of these promises, doing great things, and she'd waited for 30 years for this promise to come to pass. And there had been glimpses of the promise throughout Jesus' life, but she knew that wasn't the fulfillment. She knew that him talking to religious leaders at the age of 12 and astounding them was not the fulfillment of the promise. And it's in this time between the giving of a promise... And the fulfillment of a promise that that frustration, not with ourselves and not just with external circumstances, but even with God himself can begin to set into our lives. We begin to get frustrated with God. Maybe if you don't like the word frustrated, impatient with God. 
I think maybe we would be more comfortable if, we, if I was to say, raise your hand if you've been frustrated with God, but then raise your hand if you've been impatient with God. We're pretty much all have been impatient with God on some level. <laughs> well, in conversations with myself, me, myself, and I have. Wouldn't it be great if fulfillment all, always happened quickly? Wouldn't it be great if people would always stand in full agreement with us on a promise no matter what it was? But that's not really how it works. In fact, the fulfillment of promises often takes longer than what we think. Often takes longer than what we think. God tells us, I'm going to do this in your life, or I'm going to do this in your family's life, or I'm going to do that. Wouldn't it be great if we just get up from the altar and there, it's done. Man, that would, that would be great. But many times it doesn't work that way. Understand that it isn't because God can't fulfill promises in an instant. God spoke the world into existence and the fulfillment of God's word was instant. He didn't say let there be light and then 30 years later there was light. There was light immediately. Many miracles Jesus performed occurred instantly at the word of Jesus. So we know that God can and does work this way. But we also find that sometimes... God chooses to grow things, to grow things. He chooses to grow a church. You know what? If God wanted, he could have a church of 3,000 people in Salem now. If he could say, let there be light, he could let 3,000 people be filled with the Holy Ghost and begin to speak in tongues and experience a new birth salvation right now. But he chooses to grow a church. He often chooses to grow an individual. He could make you into the person that he has called you and wants you to be. You could wake up. <laughs> it is not beyond the realm of possibility. Now, this may or may not happen. Just wait and see. That by this time next week, God could have blessed me with musical ability beyond wildest imaginations and the voice of a songbird. He could. And next Sunday, we won't even need a praise team or band, because I can, I'll be a one-man band. What do you think of that, Brother Dave? And God's going to bless Brother Dave, too, and he's going to be my backup singer. <laughs> I'll just take the one mic, and he'll have the other six. He could do that immediately. He could. But a lot of times, God chooses to grow things. Instead of doing things in an instant, God chooses to work with time. Much of what God does in our life involves a journey. And that journey takes place over a period of time. Jesus states in Matthew 24, 13, he says, He that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Paul speaks of running a race, of enduring, of sticking with it faithfully, of fighting the good fight. And these all point to our walk with God being a journey. Over and over throughout Scripture, we find people who received things immediately, and we find people who again and again waited on promises. Abraham and Sarah maybe the most famous of those who waited on a promise. We find them waiting for years for a promise that God gave to the point of impossibility. We find Noah waited that God told him to build an ark that he was going to destroy the world with the flood, and he preached for 120 years waiting for the word of God to be fulfilled. God could have sent the flood immediately. He could have 
He could have said, go up over there, Noah, and there's going to be a boat. But no, there was a process of time. Daniel prayed for uh, the explanation of a vision, but he had to wait. God could have given it to him instantly, but he waited. He had to wait for the promise to be fulfilled, for the word of God to come to him. All of these people had to wait. And they had to wait for the promise through doubts and any frustrations that may have cropped up. They somehow had to reconcile that in their minds. A promise is like a seed. Take a seed, whatever kind of seed it is. Brother Kevin, he's got a lot of seeds. He buys seeds all the time. But inside that little seed, I'll just leave it there. Inside Kevin's tomato plant seed is, ev- is everything that is needed for that plant there. <clears throat> I know you've got to water it and do those things. But every, everything a tree or a plant will be is enclosed in that small seed. <clears throat> the seed houses the promise. It may not look like it at the time, but the future has already been declared. Scripture is very clear, and, and it gives analogies. Jesus uses parables many times, and he likens the word of God to seed. And contained in that seed, that word of God that you have received in your life, whether it's through the preaching of the word or whether God has spoken to you, when you receive that word, that seed, everything that is needed is enclosed inside that word. It's already been declared. Within that seed is a, is a mighty tree, a mighty promise, but we don't know that that does, we, we understand that doesn't just happen overnight. It takes time, just like many of God's promises do. So we have to remain patient and endure the wait if we want to see the promises of God, that God has given come to fruition. We have to remain patient and endure. Aren't those fun words? We have to remain patient. When we say wait, that reminds us that the promise may take longer than we anticipated to come to pass. But if I am patient in waiting, what God has promised will come to pass. When frustration hits in these times of patient enduring, we have to remember that he has the timing all planned out. That he has the seasons lined up, not just naturally, but he has the seasons in our life all lined up. We simply have to keep trusting him. And I know that sounds so simple for the promise to come to pass. You just need to trust God. But those of you who have received a word from God, those of you who have felt God tell you something, you understand that trusting God in reality can be difficult sometimes. But I want to encourage you to keep trusting until you see the promise fulfilled. Don't get it caught in the danger that that many times we end up in and that we try to help God out. But we have to remember, we cannot get ahead of God. We cannot get ahead of His schedule. We cannot get ahead of His timing because He has ordained certain things. If God has given you a promise, I want to remind you this morning that God will fulfill it. He doesn't give promises and then break them. He is true to His word. The key is for me to continue to trust and wait. 
And let me tell you that there will come a time in your life if you keep trusting God, if you keep holding on to His Word. And I believe this. There's promises throughout this place that we will no longer have to hold on to His Word. Why? Not because God has quit, not because God is broken, but because His Word has come to pass. And now I can let go of the promise because I see it coming to pass. I believe that's going to happen in people's lives. I believe that's going to happen in this church that one day we will quit talking about the prom- certain promises of God because we're walking in the fulfillment of those promises. In the meantime, though, in waiting, we need to understand that perhaps the reason I'm waiting, perhaps what God is doing is growing me towards the promise. Waiting is never a waste. Many people don't know what to do during this time of waiting. Here's a few things to consider when we talk about waiting. First thing is remain faithful. Remain faithful. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Paul challenges Timothy to remain steadfast, to remain sure, to remain faithful, to continue in the things which you have learned, that you keep doing what you know to do, that just because you're waiting doesn't mean that you can let go of certain things, but you keep doing what God has told you to do. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand... There's some times in our life, and you know this, that there are moments when we've tried everything, we've done everything that we know to do, and we just have to stand. We just have to stand our ground. We just have to remain faithful and say, God, I I can't see ahead, I can't see behind, I don't know what's going on on either side, but I know what you said, and I'm just going to stand on your word, I'm going to stand on your promise, I've done all I can do, Lord, it's up to you. But my responsibility is to keep standing. I know pastor has said it many times, but if you're not sure what to do, then you go by the last thing that God has spoke to you. And so in those moments of waiting, when you're not sure what to do, go back to the last thing you know that you're supposed to do. And you keep doing it. You keep standing. You keep continuing in those things until God comes in and changes that. Remain faithful. Set your face. Set your face. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7, For the Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Luke chapter 9 and verse 51, And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, this is speaking of Jesus, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. This speaks of a focus, of an intent, a purpose, That just because I'm waiting does not mean I lose my focus, does not mean I lose my purpose. It doesn't matter what other people are saying. It doesn't matter the doubts that come to my mind. I set my face in spite of distractions, in spite of whatever words may come my way. I set my face to believe in God in spite of everything going on around me. I think it's important for us to to, to settle some things in our life, to settle some things in my heart. Because until I do that, I can't set my face Like a flint is how Isaiah said it. Something strong, something sure. That even in the face of adversity, people know not just because I look like a flint, but in my spirit, my spirit is resolved, my spirit is determined, that my spirit has a focus that I'm not going to lose sight. You see, because that's real easy. That's real easy. 
When you don't see the seed coming up quite like you thought, it can become easy to forget there's a seed in the ground. Have you ever uh, tore up plants that you planted by accident? Maybe I'm the only one. No, am I the only one that does that? I mean, aren't you supposed to just put seeds in the ground, cover them up, and not mark where they are? <laughs> Isn't that what you're supposed to do it? What are those wired cage things? You're spo- you put those around plants so you know that? No. <laughs> There's times when I forget. That's why Paul writes to Timothy, I put you in remembrance about what? To stir up the gift. He says, I want to remind you of some promises. That means he's perhaps getting cloudy, perhaps starting to forget some promises, and he says, I want to remind you of some promises. It's important for us in our life to set our face like a flint, to set our spirits to realize, no, there is a purpose, there is a focus to what I'm doing, and even when it seems like nothing is happening, I'm going to remain focused, and I'm going to remain set on what God has spoke into my life. Last thing we look at, we do as we're waiting, is we renew ourselves. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31, a familiar passage. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Waiting upon the Lord, I renew my strength. Perhaps the reason that we're waiting for a promise to be fulfilled is sometimes God knows the the fulfillment will require more strength than what we possess now. So he gives us a space to wait so we can renew our strength in preparation for running. I need strength before I run. <laughs> you know, what's interesting too is that word renew, it doesn't, you don't have to look too far into it. We think, uh, you know, just a filling up, a restoration, which is true, but that word has great connotations meaning change. And that wait upon the Lord shall change their strength. Sometimes the reason that I'm waiting is because God is growing me. He's changing me. That God puts me in moments where it seems like nothing is happening and I don't even realize that I'm changing. You begin to look at people who waited on the Lord and you can look at how they were before and how they were after they waited and we, you can see many of them, there's a change that takes place. You look at Moses as he waited for 40 years in the wilderness, he's killed a guy, and now he says, I can't even hardly speak. He was not the meekest man that ever lived before he, the waiting, but after the waiting, he was the meekest man that ever lived. We begin to, and there's all kinds of people that you can look at. Let me tell you today, if you're waiting on the promise, if you're waiting and you don't see it fulfilled, perhaps what I need to start praying is, Lord, what are you trying to change in me? Hmm. You know, we all get set in our ways. One thing gets moved and our whole day's thrown off because that's where we always put it. This is where it always is. My glasses are always on the nightstand. That's where they are. They can't be anywhere else. If they're not there, someone came in and broke into our house and robbed us of my glasses. <laughs> and our whole day's thrown off. If you just accept, no, never mind, that you need glasses all the time. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) The bad thing is I need glasses, so when I can't find them, I can't see to even look and find them. No. 
We're all set in our ways. We all get a certain way, but you know what? It doesn't matter how set I am in my ways. It doesn't matter how my personality is. I need to recognize that the power of the Holy Ghost is greater than my routines, my traditions, my ways, my personality, and God can change me. And sometimes these periods of of waiting before fulfillment is God wanting to change me so that I can be ready for what He wants to do in my life. So I challenge you, if you're in a period of waiting, Pray, God, are you trying to change something in my life? I close with this story in the book of Amazing Stories. Now, that's a book. I'll tell you what, every one of those stories is amazing. Robert Peterson, he tells of a little boy named Michael for whom growing up in the South was difficult during his childhood years. Many looked down on him because of the color of his skin. When a white friend invited him to his house, the friend's mother chased Michael away, berating her son for bringing a colored boy into the house. Michael was the son of a preacher, but by the time he was a teenager, he no longer trusted a religion that looked the other way while people practiced bigotry. So everyone was surprised when Michael decided to enter seminary, but he didn't enter to preach the gospel. He entered because he thought he could use the pulpit to promote racial justice. And Peterson writes in the book of Amazing Stories, he organized bus boycotts and peaceful protests, and when sheriffs unleashed their police dogs, he responded, throw us in jail and we shall still love you. Beat us and leave us half dead and we shall still love you. But be assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. Peterson continues, Michael hit rock bottom when he was thrown into Birmingham City Jail. With plenty of free time, he began to reread the Bible he had dismissed as a myth. He went to seminary. He's a preacher. But he began to reread the Bible he had dismissed as a myth. As he studied letters written by a jailed apostle some 1900 years earlier, he realized that his hope wasn't in how much he loved others, That's an important thing there. But in how much his Savior loved him. It wasn't, and we would say that was even a noble hope because he wasn't putting his hope in how much he was loved. He put his hope in how much he loved others. In his works, in his actions, in his attitudes. But he realized my hope is in how much my Savior loves me. During this time, Michael dug deep and according to history, he experienced a personal transformation. Not long after, Michael was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. You probably thought his name was Martin, but that was his nickname. The name that appears on his birth certificate is Michael. By the time he was assassinated in 1968, Michael, or Martin, had founded a movement that changed the United States. It is one thing to have a dream, a desire, a longing to see something happen. It's quite another to hold on to it long enough to see it come to pass. Especially when the journey is filled with great difficulty and takes longer than you anticipated. If you identify, perhaps you can find strength in these words that Peterson notes. From a line that Dr. King penned in that Birmingham jail. You must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. There'll be things that disappoint me in life. There's going to be things that frustrate me. There's going to be people that disappoint me, people that frustrate me. But my hope 
rests in who I serve. My hope rests in God. And despite whatever happens to the words God has spoke to me, to calls that he's given, to things that he said to me, my hope rests not in what I am even doing to fulfill that, but in who he is and that he is faithful to fulfill his word, that his promises will come to pass. If I hold on despite every hope, every frustration, every one of those things that I can see those words and things come to pass in my life as we stand this morning. I close with this passage from James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. To me, that sounds like if I'm willing to endure if I'm willing to go through all the ups and downs of life, if I'm willing to maintain my patience and endurance, that God's perfect work will be complete. His promises will come to pass. I'm here to encourage someone today. Okay, you may be frustrated, you may be impatient, but grab a hold of His promises one more time, and more importantly, grab a hold of Him one more time and rest in who He is. Let's join together in prayer this morning. Lord Jesus, we come before you thankful for your word. Lord, I'm thankful for your promises. Lord, that you still speak. You see promises that are represented throughout this place of, of ministries, of callings, of, of loved ones being saved, of, of a variety of things, Lord, that things that you have spoken to people's lives. And you see those moments, Lord, of frustration, of impatience as, as we wait for those promises to come to pass. And sometimes it seems like they're farther away than ever. But Lord, I pray that we would not just catch a glimpse of the promise again, but we would catch a fresh glimpse of you today. Lord, that you are faithful, that you are true, that your word endures to all generations, God, that we can trust in you, Lord, that our faith is in you. Lord, I pray that you would give someone the strength this morning to maybe just stand again, Lord, just to stand on your promises today. And you haven't called us to go forwards or backwards, God, but just to stand and remain faithful and true in what you have called today, Lord. Encourage somebody today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here in Sunday school today, and we'll take a few moments before we start our main service.